What up, what up, what up? Welcome back to another edition of the DNVR Rams podcast presented by Chevalier Mortgage. As always, I am Justin Michael. I am your host. And guys, I have been looking forward to today's guest for quite some time. We're going to get to that interview with Kevin Sweeney in just a second. But first, whether you are looking at refinancing your current mortgage or buying a new home, Mike and Virginia Chevalier of Chevalier Mortgage will make the process as simple and smooth as possible. If you've gone through the loan process before and you know, you'd rather, I don't know, make a trip to Laramie, go clear the gutters, do a bunch of yard work, root for the Dodgers, shoot, even worse, root for the Rockies at this point. <laughs> it's, a, it's a tough experience is the point I'm getting at. But if you've ever worked with Mike in Virginia, trust me, they're going to make it smooth, quick, enjoyable. They're some of the best in the business. What separates them from everybody else is Mike is also a certified financial planner and he looks at so much more than just the rate when designing your home loan. They're a small family-owned company, so you'll always feel like a person and not a number. I love that. Visit them at dnvrmortgage.com, enter to win a free DNVR shirt or hat of your choice when you do. Most importantly, get set up with a free consultation. Again, that's dnvrmortgage.com. You can enter to get a free DNVR shirt or hat of your choice. If you're old school, that's okay. Just give Mike a call directly at 970-412-2472. That's 970-412-2472. Michael Chevalier, NMLS number 1931006. Virginia Chevalier, NMLS number 1910631. All right, what's up, guys? We are joined by a special guest today. We've got Kevin Sweeney, founder of CBB Central one of the best college basketball media members out there. I mean, honestly, one of the top dudes currently working at Sports Illustrated. Just a dude who, if you follow college basketball, you should value his opinion. Kevin, what has been going on, my man? Man, it's good. It's good to be on. Yeah, I think uh, I think we probably started following each other when I had less than a thousand followers. Now, now I'm up to 10k. I think you were at CSU as a student. Now you're you know, killing it, covering the team. So. It's been fun to fun to chart our rises together. So it's uh, always happy to hop on and uh, break down. It's been a really fun you know, year for CSU, really fun year for the Mountain West, really fun year for college basketball. Totally. I think one of the things that makes college basketball really fun is it has a pretty tight knit online community with you know some of us that have been you know interacting and following with each other for like half a decade now, and it's cool to see you know like guys like you and Eli Bedker and some of these people that have you know, really just kind of risen over the years through hard work and, and proving yourself. And, you know, as, as somebody that works in college football and college basketball, I think in times there are college football media members that kind of get bumped up, maybe not necessarily the best, but it's about status. Like college basketball, the fans kind of respect the work. You know, if you prove yourself, they'll follow you. You've obviously proven yourself. Um, I, I wanted to get you on to, you know, kind of just talk about college basketball as a whole this year, the Mountain West, CSU. So let's just start kind of generally, you know, has this, has this season outlived your expectations? You know, how, how confident were you coming in that the season would be this successful? You've obviously been a big proponent of they should play basketball, you know, even in a pandemic. Yeah. I mean, I think realistically it's gone as well as anyone could have hoped, especially given the fact that I think, you know, when we agreed on whatever it was, September 16th, September 18th, and that general vicinity, okay, we're going to, we're going to start on November 25th, you know, case numbers were well under a hundred thousand per day. And at one point, you know, we were up over 200,000 per day. And, and, and the fact that we were able to kind of keep the, 
you know, cancellations and postponements relatively flat, keep, keep players safe as much as possible, I think is, you know, a, a terrific sign. I think obviously March Madness will be the big test. It's why we're doing this whole thing is that to get to that point, get that big financial windfall. And I think everyone understands that. But at the same time, I think, you know, the number of games that have been played, I think I saw in Ken Palm today, were like near 2,700 for, for the season. Obviously, like there have been bumps and there have been teams who've gotten – you know, really raw into the deal. You know, and it, I mean, New Mexico State was, you know, unable to play in their state. New Mexico, obviously, the same way. And New Mexico State didn't play for like 50 days. You know, UC Davis, I heard a story about them for Sports Illustrated. They had a county restriction that stopped them from playing for 49 days. So, you know, it's been really disrupted for some people. But I think for the most part, you know, we've had, you know, a, a very, very legitimate season. And given all that has been stacked against it, I think that's all you can really ask for. Like, this isn't the NBA. This isn't, you know, 30 teams that we can – you know, test every single day, like twice a day, like the NBA does. There's, there's certain limitations that we have in, in college basketball that we have to kind of work through. And I think for the most part, we've done it as well as we could. Look, man, I, I really respect you because obviously, you know, in the summer that it was somewhat of a controversial opinion that you we should be moving forward with college sports. On my podcast, you know, I was always kind of talking about like, hey, if they can do it safely, I'm all for it. They deserve the the chance to compete. But you know, you've stood, you've stood your ground. And honestly, it's, it's proven to be a success in my point, in my opinion, obviously, you know, like you said, there have been some bumps along the road, but I think it's been really fun. I mean, one of the things that I liked was seeing, you know, some of these schools like Gonzaga scheduling up and, and really playing some elite teams right off the bat. Obviously we normally get that a little bit in a college basketball season, but it kind of felt like there was a bigger emphasis for some of these schools to kind of prove themselves early, just given the the unpredictability of this season. Is that something you see like potentially sticking around in the future, maybe just trying to beef up these non-con schedules and maybe worrying a little bit less about adding some of those gimme wins? It's, it's going to be really interesting. I think the one thing that this year really exposed, at least for me as someone who, you know, has, you know, I think this year followed scheduling more than I've ever followed it before is it has been so abundantly clear when teams want to play anybody and teams who say they want to play anybody, but they don't actually want to play anybody. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and, and many coaches have, have said similar things to me, like, oh man, like, like they're talking a big game, but they, they, they wouldn't play us, you know? And so it's, you know, I think, you know, without a doubt, like this year has exposed a lot in scheduling. Obviously in college football, we've seen the, you know, why are we really scheduling for 2035 right now? When, you know, we it's so a, obscene. Yeah, These kids are in elementary school. Right. It's absurd. Uh, and college basketball is a lot more flexible when it comes to these things. But I think, you know, I think this year has shown we can be even, even a bit more flexible. And, you know, one of the reasons the bracket buster game died was because the scheduling was just too much of a pain in the neck for everybody. And I wonder if, you know, something like that could be respawned out of something like this. Obviously, you know, it's, a, it's probably a two, three year thing down the line. But you know, all these types of conversations will happen. I think Gonzaga in particular has realized, like, they're a big enough brand now where ESPN will put them in any event they want to be in and they will play anyone who wants to play them. And you know, that's pretty some, some really fun games. And you know, hopefully, I mean, coming up this, this weekend, Gonzaga is looking for a game. We'll see if they can find one. There was discussion. They maybe they get a Houston that hasn't come together so far. Villanova is now free. Could they play Villanova? I mean, this, this would be the equivalent of that, you know, BYU coastal Carolina game where we're putting three days notice. All right, let's play. Uh, and it wouldn't be something if we pull it off. So, you know, scheduling, I think, will change a little bit. Um, this year was was a lot of fun, kind of diving everybody in Thanksgiving weekend and just saying, all right, let's do the thing. And 
you know, it's been, it's been a whirlwind. I, I don't think coaches love it because it means they're doing a lot of time scouting on, you know, random schedules, but you know, they, they, they will take whatever it can, whatever, whatever they have, whatever they have to deal with in order to play the season. You know, one of the things I kind of wanted to get your input on is just conference tournaments in general, you know, I was fortunate last year. I got to cover the entire Mountain West tournament because they had it a week early. It just kind of happened to luck out that they were one of the few leagues that got to have them. There's much debate right now about, you know, logistically whether teams should do this. Does it make sense? You know, just what does your gut say right now? Do you think most leagues are going to go ahead and and go forward with them? And and should they? I think they are. Um, whether it's the right decision, honestly, I have no idea. Like I, I have not been more torn on, on anything in terms of decision making on how to deal with college basketball. Like, you know, whether we should play non-conference games, like I always thought that was a weird argument and I didn't really understand why everyone was like, Oh, we're going to wreck the season. If we play non-conference games, like that didn't make sense. And it clearly didn't hash out to make sense once the actual non-conference games happened, you know, should we expand the NCAA tournament? I think we've always been, you know, always been very steady. Okay. 68 is fine. The conference tournament one, I really, I really don't know. I think there are really strong arguments either way, right? On one hand, it's like, you know, especially like, what, what is Gonzaga doing at the WCC tournament? Like, what's the risk there? You know, ba- what's the risk for? Same thing with Baylor at the, uh, the Big 12 tournament. Same with any real true NCAA tournament lock. At the same time, like, conference tournaments are so much the fabric of March Madness in the same way that the uh, the, the, the full field of 68 is. And, you know, to take that away, I think, would – you know, it wouldn't be March without conference tournaments. So I've got this kind of emotional, you know, pulling on the heartstrings to make it happen. I think based on the comments I've seen in recent days and, and stuff I've heard behind the scenes, leagues want to make this happen. Now, it wouldn't take much, especially as we've seen in the past, where there's a lot of followers, not a lot of leaders in college athletics. And so it wouldn't take much for you know, one or two leagues to say, okay, well, we're, we're out, we're, we're not doing a conference tournament, or we're going to drastically change our structure, and then everybody switches along with them. But I think as of now, I think there's going to be a push to play. And I think there's going to be a push inside of leagues to say, you're not opting out. You know, if you, if you have the players, if you are healthy, you are playing in this tournament because, you know, and I think the leagues understand that and this is, this is an important revenue product for them as well. It's not, it's not the NCAA tournament. It's not the huge cash count, but you know, maybe it's the cash goat. It's, it's right. It's right there below. So it's, it's, it's a big deal. And, I do expect that we're going to see conference tournaments. And if, if not, I think we're going to start seeing movement in the next year, week, week or two is when we'll start to get resolutions. If not. I'm, I'm a bit, I hope they happen. I mean, I'm kind of like you just nostalgic wise. Obviously I, I want to be able to sit down and, and watch some of these smaller leagues. I mean, the a 10 and the mountain West and some of these groups, like that's just what I love doing. It's watching these crazy games. I mean, Sam Merrill hitting that dagger three against San Diego state last year. That was like one of the best moments of the entire college basketball season. It's what it is all about. The reason I bring it up, though, is the Mountain West is a particularly interesting case when it comes to are they better off playing the Mountain West tournament and does it actually help these top four teams that are currently in contention? I think at the moment, if you're a team like Boise State, I'm not sure you have a ton to gain out of the Mountain West tournament, especially if you close really strong against what's going to be a brutal slate down the stretch. A program like CSU. I don't know. I think they could maybe benefit from it. I mean, obviously right now they seem to be being projected into the field by a lot of people across the country, but they didn't have a lot of opportunities to prove themselves in non-conference. They might lose two games against New Mexico next week. It's going to be kind of interesting to see how this plays out. 
I'm curious, you know, just from the Mountain West side, do you think these top four teams benefit from, from playing the Mountain West tournament? I think they do, mostly because I think we've seen, particularly in the past, you know, mid-major, you know, teams that don't have the quality wins tend to get looked upon a little less friendly, a little less friendly from the committee. Um, then we get, you know, then we might think in projections. I think, you know, St. Bonaventure a couple of years ago when they wound up in the first four and they were, you know, consistently nines, tens, et cetera. And there are a couple other uh, other examples of this. So I don't think anyone's as safe as you'd want to be. I think Boise and San Diego State are a little safer. So maybe they benefit a little bit, you know, a little bit less from playing the conference tournament. I think Utah State and Colorado State have a lot to gain from playing a conference tournament until they lose in the quarterfinals to, you know, UNLV or Fresno. And then all of a sudden, yeah, this was, this was dumb. Why are we doing this? So, you know, as long as you can get to the semis, and I think that's why some people said, okay, well, maybe we just send the four, maybe we just send top five. What, what can we do to switch up the field? You know, you want to protect your top seeds, but at the same time, like, you want to protect your top seeds every year. Like, it's never good for the Mountain West to have their a two beat, lose to a seven in the first round. Like, that's never good for the league, but it happens because that's how college basketball works. And, like, I don't think we should just use the pandemic to be like, let's game the system in our favor every year, you know, just because they're like, it's not, it's not actually a COVID risk situation. It's like, oh, well, we got to make sure that, you know, Utah State doesn't lose in the first round of Fresno. That's mine. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, there have been plenty of instances where there were good teams at the top that obviously got upset. I mean, I think Boise State's been upset as the three seed in the tournament like three out of the last four years or something like that. So obviously weird stuff can happen. The 55th big game is this weekend. 55, a game this big, deserves a big prize, not just some trophy. To finish off the football season, DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is giving all players a no-brainer of an offer. To celebrate football's finale, DraftKings Sportsbook is doubling your money if a touchdown is scored in the big game. That's right. One touchdown, you double your money. Simple as that. Easy as one, two, three. I mean, what do you what what more what more do you want, people? They're literally giving you free money. As if this game wasn't enough of a reason to party. With the double the cash, you'll be celebrating till next season. Don't forget about the DraftKings Big Game Prediction Challenge with up to $55 million in total prizes up for grabs. Instant prizes for everybody who enters the contest. DraftKings, they've already paid out $7 billion to players since 2012. They know a thing or two about paydays. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code DNVR to get a shot at doubling your money if a touchdown is scored in Sunday's game. That promo code DNVR to get a shot at doubling your money during Sunday's season night finale. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. Colorado only. Restrictions do apply. See DraftKings.com slash prediction dash challenge dash DFS for details. Have a gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. What is your perspective on the Mountain West right now? Is it you know, it, it, I've said on my podcast before that I would put money that it's a two-bid league. I think it's a three-bid league. You see some people saying four. I just think that's unlikely based on just, I mean, reputation, how it's gone in the past and the fact that so many of these teams still have to play each other. At this point, how many teams do you see making the field? I think three is a good bet right now. Although I will say, I think the door is more open for four than I would have thought two, three weeks ago. And the main reason why is that the bubble outside of the Mountain West is really not helping itself. Um, you've seen in the Big East, Providence, Marquette, and Seton Hall are stacking losses. You know, those teams could all be right at 500. Are we going to put teams in that are, you know, 12 and 12 in the NCAA tournament? 
We'll see what happens. I'm not, I'm not convinced that the committee will do that. You know, same thing with the Big Ten. Maryland's nine and eight, but one of those wins did non-D1. So they're really eight and eight in the eyes of the committee. Indiana's, I think, nine and seven. Uh, Penn State is under 500, but they're top 25 in net. Like there, there are some examples, especially in those leagues, of teams who are, you know, who could be, you know, essentially bounced out of the NCAA tournament just for not having enough. They're just having too many losses. And so if that happens, I think we could see a situation where, you know, a fourth team can sneak in. I think it's going to be tough without a doubt. I think it's going to require you know, avoiding, you know, really any losses outside of the top four. I mean, we said, we saw that and really the Mountain West has done as good a job of any of making sure that, you know, the top's beating up on the bottom. And, and, you know, until that Utah State loss to UNLV and UNLV is not really a bottom tier team, they're talented enough to knock you off. I mean, these teams are beaten up on Wyoming and San Jose and Air Force and New Mexico, if New Mexico still exists as a basketball team. Um, you know, so, it, so you got to continue to uh, do that. And and I think the good thing is that Ken Palm and the net have really liked seeing uh, these teams win by 25 points on a, on a random Thursday, you know, and while that's the right way of doing it, I don't know, but you know, bottom line is San Diego state jumped like 15 spots in Ken Palm by beating Air Force and Wyoming by 20 a game. And so that was odd to me. Help, like I, yeah. I, that's doing what they should do, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, obviously, like, I mean, if you put in the numbers, like they're really only supposed to win by like 15, even by 25, all of a sudden it's like, wow, like they're better than, you know, they, they beat the numbers and they, they jump up and it hasn't helped a lot of teams in that same tier of loss, but it's also like, is this like, like what, what, what made, like, there's nothing that anyone who like knows about basketball got from watching those four games, like qualitatively, that was like, oh, well, I thought San Diego State was a bubble team. Now they're like top 25, which is basically what the numbers try to be. <laughs> so. I'm, I'm glad you said that because I, I don't know, just as a Mountain West guy, it makes me excited for at least the possibility. I mean, I think CSU fans, especially right now, they're still feeling slightly jaded because 2015 is in the back of their mind where they didn't make the tournament as like the number 27 RPI team. It was, in terms of RPI, one of the biggest snubs in, in NCAA tournament history. I've actually gone back and, and now that some time has gone on and emotions have cooled, I've brought up the fact that their schedule really was, it was trash. And, and you, Stacey, tried to play the metrics and it did not work in his favor but I mean, as, as a mid-major, I just think that's always in the back of your mind. You brought up, you know, the Big East, the Big Ten, some programs like Maryland that might float around 500. Do you think the committee is going to give programs like that more of the benefit of the doubt, just given that it's, you know, Big Ten basketball, they have the reputation? Or does the Mountain West kind of have its own, you know, strong reputation to, to hold itself up? I certainly think the Mountain West has a better reputation than the majority of mid-major leagues, and it helps them there. But I think at the same time, We've, we've seen in the past, you know, the 19 and 14 Big Ten team gets in. You know, the 18 and 15 Big Ten team, they get in. And the 25 and 5 Missouri Valley team doesn't. And that sucks, but that's what we do. Now, the question is, is there is nothing qualitatively different about, you know, 19 and 15 Maryland and 13 and 12 Maryland, other than like a bunch of bye games getting wiped off the board and a couple of Big Ten cancellations. Like they're the same exact team in Ken Palm, let's say. We're going to say, okay, they're not on the field now because they're only one game over 100 and we don't do that, right? Like if that's how they treat it, I think it would be stupid. But I also think it's kind of stupid that we're putting in the 19 and 15 or whatever they were. So, you know, it. I think I will assume until proven otherwise that the high major team will get the benefit of the doubt. But I would certainly like to be proven wrong. I think that's a good way to put it. And and obviously, you know, your your guess is as good as mine on this, but do you think that the committee is going to look like look at a program like CSU? Let's say 
they take care of business down the stretch. They win all these games that they're favored in. They should be favored in every game for the rest of the season. Um, we'll say they take care of business. If they're on the bubble, is the committee going to look at them and say, you know, they didn't get enough non-conference games in? Or do you think they'll, you know, in my opinion, take the logical route and say, well, that wasn't their fault. It, you know, it's not a 2015 situation where they tried to schedule a bunch of, you know, bullshit teams and, and pick up giving wins. They lost three games against the Pac-12 because of a COVID shutdown. It's, it's not like they didn't want to play big teams. Well, it's going to be something to watch. I mean, throughout, I mean, the NCAA said we, we'd like you to play in four non-conference games. And, you know, some teams struggled to get to that. Some teams didn't play any, but they tried, you know, I mean, you know, back, back in my backyard at home, Sienna was supposed to play four or five, six non-conference games. They had three consecutive COVID shutdowns from November 12th until you know early January. They didn't play. Is the committee going to punish them in seeding because they didn't play non-conference games? I certainly hope not. But you know, I, I think that's where the, the intent should be seen. But at the same time, you know, the committee's got a lot of work to do in a week, and you know, sometimes things like that slip through the cracks and or don't get focused on as much as they should. So, I think it, it might hurt them. I think it helped that they were able to get in a couple games. Obviously, St. Mary's game didn't go well, but it was a game to play. You know, going on the road to Santa Clara, that's another game, and Santa Clara will see how that win continues to age. The biggest thing CSU has to do is just you know keep keep the resume clean. Right now, it's a very clean resume. There's no bad losses. There's some solid wins. You know, if they can just avoid. You know, can they avoid losing a random game to Air Force? You know, it's, those are the killers. And, and they constantly come, and it happens every year. Drake the other day was right on the ropes with uh, um, Illinois State, who's horrible. And that's just that, and they found a way. And, and, and if you're Colorado State, like, it doesn't always have to be pretty, but, you know, you got to make sure you're winning your games against you know, New Mexico and Wyoming and Air Force and just, just find a way. Those I mean, Wyoming just swept Nevada. Nevada. They're, they're not, you know, a pushover. It's obviously a bottom team in the league. If you want to make the NCAA tournament, you need to sweep Wyoming. But it, it is tougher than I think most people realize. It's one of the few venues in the country that's going to have fans, the added intensity of the rivalry. I mean, it's hard to beat a rival twice in any year, let alone twice on the road. And that's, you know, the weird dynamic with the Mountain West this year in these two-game series. You don't you don't get an opportunity at home. It's It's kind of unfortunate, but it's also kind of made for some interesting results. You know, we've had some splits with Boise State, Utah State, San Diego State. To an extent, I almost wonder if it's helped CSU, a younger team, just getting you know two cracks at some of these good teams in such a short period of time. Yeah, I think you know the, the back-to-backs or you know two or three days, whatever it's been, depending on the league, have been you know super fascinating to track across the country. And you know, I thought maybe we'd see like a clear trend. I think the only clear trend is just kind of chaos. You know, and there's there's a great example. At, you know, Wright State has had three different series where they lost one game, won the other by 30. I mean, there have just been some crazy, crazy results that make no sense. Uh, but that's how college basketball t- operates. You know, there's nothing normal about having, you know, 20-year-old kids. I mean, Jimmy Patsos used to say all the time in his press conference at Siena, he said, you know, the, uh, you know when you have 20, 18 to 21-year-olds dribbling your paycheck up and down the floor, some bad things can happen. And <laughs> that, that, that's how it works. I mean, it, it, is, is, um, it is very unpredictable, I think. You know, a team like Colorado State that's really doing it for the first time in, in, in at a high level, especially you know, your you know, two sophomore stars being the leaders of a team. I think, and without a doubt, it has helped them to be able to say, "Okay, like let's experience it, let's taste it, and then come turn around." I mean, especially I think the Utah State series. I think they tasted that, you know, that that defeat, and then turned around and played a whale of a game. You know, the following Thursday. So. It's it's hard. Every coach has different opinions of it. Some coaches love it. They think of it like a baseball series. You got to get a split. Some coaches I talk to hate it. Would never want to do it again. You know, also, I think it depends on how their team is doing, whether they like totally. it or hate it. Yeah, 
but you know, I, I think it's I think it's worked out well, and I think it's worked out well for teams like CSU. MSU Denver Online puts a dynamic education at your fingertips without forcing you to decide between earning a degree and living your life. MSU Denver is the Colorado institution providing rigorous and affordable online programs taught by professors who bring the real world into the classroom. MSU Denver graduates use their relevant degrees to land coveted jobs. Some of our very own staff members at DNVR have even taken classes. Harrison and Allie, they can tell you all about it. The teachers are super engaged and professional. They're extremely responsive to emails, questions, and concerns. Many of them work in the same field so they can give you advice and you know that they know what they're talking about. The course content is highly relevant. And most importantly, at MSU Denver Online, you learn about things that you can use outside of the classroom. At the end of the day, that's what it all is all about. The spring semester starts January 19th, but if you use the promo code DNVR Sports, you do not pay an application fee. That's right, when applying and ask for the application fee, just drop the promo code DNVR Sports in there. It'll be completely free. That is a game changer, guys. Time and time again, the best way to protect yourself against an economic downturn is having an education and being able to, you know, expand into different things and just being, you know, versatile, being flexible. That's what it's all about. You got to adapt, baby. Adapt. Go visit MSU Denver online. Use the promo code DNVR Sports, and that application fee will be free. You know, I, I know you're a guy that you just you watch so much college basketball. So I'm I'm not going to try and like drill you on every little detail about CSU, but I also know that you're a guy who has followed the Mountain West extremely closely. You talk a lot of Mountain West. You've seen a lot of these big games. What stood out the most to you about this CSU team? I think one of the things that I really enjoy watching about them is you know. They're just like they're just really hard to guard on the offensive end, particularly when they can, you know, get you in matchups with Stevens and Roddy. And I think their poise in particular, um, you know, two guys who are sophomores. Obviously, they they played a ton of basketball to be sophomores, but they're still you know, they're still in their second year of college. And you know, those were guys that were you know priority recruits and and have proven why because they're they're so so darn good and you know, so darn polished for, especially Stevens for, for where they are in their careers. I think, you know, they're, they, they're really hard to guard when they play that two man game and in the pick and roll. I think the other thing that they do really well um, is just like everyone buys into a role. I think that's something that Nico met totally. did a really good job at Furman did a really good job. That's why they won 17 games at Drake after a seven win team. I think the previous year is that, you know, he's got, you know, every single guy like buying into what they are supposed to do, whether it's, you know, Kendall Moore saying like, I'm going to defend and hit shots or, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm Sean Thomas going to run, run the floor, rim run and, and be active around the rim. Like, you know, you, you just need guys who, who will buy into, okay, like what is my role? How am I going to star in that role? And, and, and CSU's done that under Medved. And I think that's what Nico Medved's done throughout his career. So I think those are the two things that really pop, you know, they run really good offense, just like they did at Furman, Bob Ritchie, uh, now Furman, the head coach, you know, and, and Nico both have, you know, terrific you know, offensive playbooks and guys that I would, you know, watch film of all day. It's, it's a lot of fun to watch. So yeah, they're a really good basketball team. They're definitely ahead of schedule, ahead of where I expected them to be. Uh, and, you know, particularly the first game against Boise. I thought Boise came out and, you know, really punched in the mouth in game two, and I expected they would. But, you know, the first game against Boise was just an absolute clinic and, and showed how much progress this program has made in a short amount of time. I think one of the greatest strengths of this CSU team, and, and obviously Nico Medved's done a tremendous job, but 
I think the assistants deserve a lot of credit. I think this is one of the more underrated staffs in college basketball, certainly at the mid-major level. I mean, Ali Frokmanash, J.R. Blunt, these are both guys that I expect to be head coaches someday. You know, have I'm not sure how close you know you you follow recruiting and all that, but one of the the knocks, at least, that I've seen some people try and throw against CSU is they don't recruit California very much. But to me, I'm like, why does that matter? They're recruiting well in Texas and they're taking advantage of their connections in the Midwest. I mean, to me, that seems like an okay, okay recipe for success and it seems to be going pretty well for them. Yeah, I mean, I don't have an issue. I, as far as I'm concerned, I don't care where you recruit. Like there's just so many avenues at this point to go get players and you know, you, you should go where you're connected, right? Like Colorado State doesn't get David Roddy if, you know, Dave Thorson isn't on staff. Exactly. Minnesota. And, and you don't get Isaiah Stevens if you're not as well, well connected in Texas as they are. And right. And like, neither of those kids were like insane recruits. They were good recruits from Adam West. I mean, Roddy, I remember at North Northwestern was interested and a couple other high majors, but they weren't like, Oh my gosh, how did they pull it? You know, it wasn't a top 50 or top 75, you know, but those were guys that like you trusted your eval, you, you know, knew everyone talked about those guys as in EYBL or, you know, whichever AAU circuit they were playing on is like, those were going to be really good major players. They, you know, went in, they spent a lot of time with them. They got them on official visits. They landed them. And like, bottom line is that that's how you win at the major level. And everyone's going to do it a little differently. Obviously, you know, Nevada with Musk was the the transfer model. Let's go get everybody that we can and, and call every single kid. You know, San Diego State's done it with the transfers. Utah State's taking international kids. They've gotten walk-ons, right? Like, you don't need to be like, like, like the secret to winning at the vast majority of schools is not like, oh, I need to recruit X area. There are a few exceptions, mostly I would say tied to like being a local school in a really big recruiting area. Like yeah. if you're in Maryland, you have to recruit Maryland. Maryland is the best, one of the best options in the country. But like, like I, I could care less if Colorado State is a single player, even from Colorado. Like Colorado's got good talent, but like bottom line is if, if, if you're winning, because you get three, four, or five transfers who can really play, or you're getting kids from Texas, or you're you know hitting the Minnesota pipeline, whatever, like whatever it takes to win. And, and they've gotten in really good kids who fit what they want to do, who you know are, are really good kid fits for your for their program mentally, not just you know talent wise, and it's worked out well. So no no complaints on the recruiting front, and you know, particularly Roddy was a guy that I remember watching, and I was like, man, that kid's gonna be good. I hope he comes to Northwestern. Did not come to Northwestern, and here we are. Yeah. You know. Dominate the Mountain West. So, I'll say this, man. I I know he doesn't have all the size, but there's no doubt in my mind that Roddy could start and you know at a program like Northwestern and and be a guy that actually had decent success. Yeah, the shooting I think is really what's come along. You know, I thought you know okay maybe he's just going to be this kind of undersized big guy who's going to throw his weight around, and you know that's really not what he is. He's super skilled offensively, and I think that. That is something that that people probably missed in the recruiting process. It's also like at some point when you're you know built more like an offensive tackle than a you know a, or a defensive end than than you are a basketball player. Sometimes you just get overlooked by the bigger schools. And you know, look that that's that's why you that's how you win at, at Mountain West schools. Like, okay, you know, that kid was overlooked. Let's like go grab him. Now we've got a conference player of the year candidate eventually. You know, Stevens, a little undersized, a little skinny. Now we got a conference player of the year candidate. You know, across the league, Justin Bean was, you know, a walk on. Now he's, you know, Nemius Cato was, was no, no one knew who Nemius Cato was until he was, you know, on Utah State's campus, you know, dominating people and getting NBA looks. So that's how you win. And uh, they've got a really hardworking staff, and that's why they're winning right now. Well, I'll say this, man. However big David Roddy's biceps look on TV, they look bigger in person. Like he is 
freakishly large when you were standing next to him. I mean, I remember I saw him when he was touring, like literally when he's doing his official visit and walking around the football stadium. I'm like, wait, that kid's 17 years old. Are you kidding me? <laughs> but just insane. A total freak. I don't want to take up too much of your time. So thank you so much for doing this, man. It's always great to get your perspective. Um, you know, tell the people where they can follow you. Keep up with all your work. You're a busy man. You work for multiple outlets. They got to keep up with all of it. I, I am a busy man. Uh, yeah, CBB underscore central is where you will find me on Twitter. Uh, I've linked almost everything I do on there. My written work this year is at Sports Illustrated. Um, been doing a lot of college basketball work for them. I do two two times a week bracketology. I do a stars of the week column, which is a lot of fun. I think I highlighted Colorado State at one point earlier in the season. Uh, I don't remember. They all blend together. Um, I think you did after the San Diego State win. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, that sounds right. Um, what else we got? Oh, yeah. Uh, other some features over at SI as well, writing some stuff. I wrote the one about UC Davis coming off their COVID pause, working on another one now shortly that will be very exciting. Can't spill the tea on that, though, yet. Stay tuned. Uh, and then we've got my podcast, the CBB Central Podcast, Apple, Spotify, and wherever you listen to pods. Then my uh, my new live show with Brian Burton, new this season, uh, the College Hoops Coast to Coast. Uh, obviously, he's a great guy. He was in the Mountain West, was on, on staff at Fresno, has been in a couple of other spots. And, you know, we do a, we do a fun fun time while traveling around the country, talking to coaches on on, on Zoom and you know, taking advantage of the time. So uh, check all of those things out. And uh, thanks for having me. Absolutely, man. I hope we can get you on again at some point and make sure you guys go follow Brian Burton as well. Really good dude. Actually lives in Loveland, Colorado now, former Fresno State coach and uh, a rising star in the media, as is Kevin. I'm telling you, he's better than all the guys you follow on TV. Kevin, thank you for doing this, man. Thank you, thank you. Peaches out of Palisades, sweet as mama's marmalade. This shit sound like summer days, the windows down on harmony. The family band sing harmonies, my daddy played the drums. My mama slapped that bass, my sister sang these songs. Dancing under canopies, we thank the trees for all their leaves. We are just some drops of water together, make up seven seas. And one day I'll be like my father, one day I will learn to breathe. I'm choking on the thought that I am not the man I want to be.